The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Okay, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. Finally back in my home studio here with uh, Jeff the Animal Wilson. How you doing, Jeff? I'm awesome, Bill. It's Sunday. I have the day off tomorrow from work, so I can't complain. And Bill, I just want to give you a thumbs up on your last episode, which was at the Sirius XM studio. So our, your podcast is going places, man. We're making moves. We're making big moves. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I Thanks loved. For that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I have not finished listening to the episode, but I definitely enjoyed your buddy Sam's take on why he enjoys pro wrestling even as an adult and knowing that it's fake and everything. Yeah, host of Sam Roberts Show, not the Sam Roberts Show, as he corrected me on at the end of the episode. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a nice Sunday here in New Jersey. A uh, little bit of a somber atmosphere. It is September the 11th. So 15 years ago, of course, is we all remember when the Twin Towers fell in New York City. Uh, what were you doing at the time? Dude, I was in fourth grade, and I was actually looking out the window because I was bored in class. I think it was like language arts or something. And then I just see smoke coming from a building, and my I was like I said I was in fourth grade, so I was like nine or ten years old. Yeah, I hope I forget. But um, <laughs> you know I'm there and I'm thinking, like it it didn't click in my head that yeah. something bad was totally happening. surreal. Yeah. And then I remember kids being pulled out from school early, but I, because I still didn't know what was happening. Yeah. And then I see it all over the news, and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, like, why would somebody do this? What's happening? Yeah. It's the kind of thing that, like, you, you first hear about it, and now you're making me feel old, because I was in high school, and uh, <laughs> um, I remember somebody coming into class and saying a, a plane flew into the World Trade Center, and thinking, like, oh... Well, it didn't register to me like what that meant. Right. Yeah, I didn't imagine the the building falling down or anything like that. Like I was thinking, I don't know what I was thinking, maybe a small plane, something like that. But, um, you know, the positive that came out of it was really brought the country together. We saw the bravery of our emergency service workers who who came to the rescue and, and didn't think twice to, to run head on into danger. Um, so it, it really makes you appreciate them. So t- today is definitely a day to appreciate the people who put their lives on the line without thinking twice on a daily basis, for sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, and as a country, you know, we have people who every day run into burning buildings to save people they don't even know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just a testament to we do live in the greatest nation in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So many great things about this country. It you have to remind yourself about it with all the craziness going on and and all the insane circus politics and and things like that. But um, speaking of people who risk their lives and run into burning buildings, our UFC heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic, who is an EMT and a firefighter, I believe in Ohio, uh, impressively defending 
his world championship last night in Cleveland in his hometown uh, against Alistair Overeem at UFC 203. Uh, what do you think about this main event, Jeff? I thought it was probably the best fight on the main card. Um, you know, Stipe Miocic really impressed me last night because I thought he was going to have a hard time with Alistair Overeem, who we know hits unbelievably hard. Yeah. And I thought that if he was going to win, now I thought Stipe did have a really good chance of winning, but I thought he would have to go into the later rounds and really wait for Alistair to miss some big shots and get tired and, you know, take advantage of that and really drag the fight out to win. But he did in the first round. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy's got serious power, and he did get rocked early on in the fight by Overeem. He said he wasn't rocked, but, I mean, his legs were wobbling. He definitely didn't have him underneath him. And then Overeem hurt him pretty bad with a couple of body shots, too. Yeah, definitely. And uh, after that knockdown that you mentioned, Alistair Overeem went for a guillotine, yeah. which it kind of looked a little tight, but I think he's seen you and me train together before because <laughs> he knew the escape to that one. So I, I was really happy with that. Yeah, so Miocic did the right thing. He, he jumped over into side control, and he brought his arms immediately to defend the choke. And Overeem tried to claim that Miocic tapped at the end of the fight. I know you were watching this out of the bar, so I don't know if you heard the post-fight interview or not. I left right before the post-fight interview. Yeah, so what happened was Overeem was like, well, you know, he tapped to the guillotine, but I guess the ref didn't see it, so I'm not going to complain. And this is why I love Joe Rogan, because Rogan was like, well, let's take a look at the big screen, and you tell me where you see him tap. And they show the replay. You see Stipe jump over Alistair's legs just like he's supposed to. You see him defend with both hands the choke and you see him escape and he's like where did you see him tap there yeah yeah joe rogan's the man and then and then overeem is speechless and joe rogan was like let's take a look at another angle let's 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 show it from the other angle and you tell me where he taps yeah you gotta love joe rogan (laughs) i mean he's great and yeah i mean overeem i personally am not a fan of his I, you know, he's a great fighter, don't get me wrong, but he has this thing where he fights with his hands down a lot, and that's why I lost to a guy like Bigfoot Silva. No offense to Bigfoot, but I feel <laughs> like Overeem could definitely beat him. Yeah, I mean, Overeem, he, he carries this reputation as the most decorated striker in the heavyweight division, you know, K1 champion, dream champion, all, all that, uh, very decorated, obviously he's a legit striker. Um, here's a guy who has really suffered from the drug testing you could see that he looks physically very different he was even carrying around a little bit of a gut i mean this guy usually looks like he's carved out of stone like he walks around looking like a human greek statue um and he was looking a little soft last night for overeem you know i'm not going to criticize you know a guy for for looking a little soft especially in that heavyweight division i mean some of the top guys Definitely, you know, are not going to win a bodybuilding contest any day soon. If you look at Roy Nelson, Josh Barnett, uh, Frank Mir, you know, so on and so forth, uh, Stipe might be like the fittest looking guy out of the bunch. Yeah, I think you're him. I think him and Travis Brown are probably the most fit looking guys. But anyway, <laughs> moving on to how the fight ended, it was a takedown that kind of wasn't really a takedown because yeah. Overeem fell but not right in front of Stipe sure so and then Stipe ended up you know just raining down bombs on him yeah which is a big testament to his power I didn't I don't consider Stipe 
to really have knockout power, but he's definitely developed it more recently. Oh, no, he's always had knockout power. I mean, he knocked out Verdum running backwards. Yeah, but before that, I mean, he didn't have too many knockouts under his belt, if I'm not mistaken. I remember his fight against Junior Dos Santos, which was a decision, which I actually thought Stipe lost that fight. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's not up to me. It's up to the judges. So, actually, his last four wins have come by knockout. Okay. So and he, including knockouts over Andre Arlovsky and Mark Hunt. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I stand corrected, <laughs> William. We apologize, Stipe. <laughs> Don't come after us. <laughs> Please. But, yeah, uh, Stipe is awesome, man. It's hard not to like the guy. He's yeah. a firefighter. He's from Believeland. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything about this guy is likable. Unfortunately, you know... Not the most well-known fighter. I mean, this is the heavyweight championship of the UFC, and it was kind of overshadowed by the premiere, uh, the debut of CM Punk, who who we'll get to in a little bit. But and I haven't looked at the stats yet as in terms of who made the most money, but I'm pretty sure CM Punk walked away with the biggest paycheck on this card. Wow, that's really surprising to me because, well, we'll get into that later. But let's talk about the Comin event for a second here, Bill, because it has to be one of the biggest, how do I put this, I guess snooze fests that I've seen in quite a while. Yeah, the only thing that was keeping me captivated in this fight was trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. So it started off with a huge flash with... A flying sidekick from Fabrizio Verdum, which nobody saw coming. Yeah, neither did Travis Brown because it hit him right in the face. Yeah, and uh, Travis was a, a little wobbled after that, and and rightfully so. Yeah, it looked like it was right out of a Dragon Ball Z cartoon, <laughs> that kick. I mean, you know, I I was not happy with this fight, but you got to give all the credit in the world to Verdum, man. For a heavyweight, he's so athletic. Yeah, if he had won that fight... That's definitely something that would be appearing on highlight reels for years to come. It'll probably be part of his highlight reel for a long time. But um, definitely disappointing how this fight turned out. Um, this was a rematch in which uh, you know Verdum won a close decision over Brown the first time they fought. And then w- the second thing, the second major occurrence of the first round was something happened with Travis Brown where he started holding his hand and turning away. And... The referee did say stop, very clearly said stop, and then Verdum reaches in with a swinging uh, right hand and punched him in the face after the referee had said stop. Kind of a dirty move by Fabricio, and then Fabricio's trying to pretend like he didn't hear the ref, but he clearly said stop. So I initially thought it was a problem with Travis Brown's glove. You know, maybe you know something had come undone or... or or maybe he was trying to say that Fabrizio had stuck his fingers in the glove, because uh, that's that's a problem that occurs sometimes with these guys. I didn't really know what he was saying, but it turned out that he was hurt, and he had dislocated one of his fingers. So the doctor came in and looked at it, and Travis Brown says, I'm good, but according to the rules, if you stop the fight because you're injured, you can't just get a timeout and say, like, okay, let's fight again. So... This should have been a TKO for Fabricio in, in the first round. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because I know you were watching at a bar, so you probably didn't get a chance to hear the commentary. So what were you thinking when you saw this going on? Yeah, at first I kind of thought that he had broken a finger or something, the way he was holding his hand. Um, but 
I actually disagree with you in terms of uh, Fabrizio Verdum uh, and the ref saying stop. I didn't actually hear it, but again, I was in a bar. There was a lot of noise. So I wasn't sure if Fabrizio really heard it. I, I wasn't sure if the ref said it either because, like I said, you know, there was a lot of background noise when yeah. I was at the bar. But you're absolutely right, dude. You can't just call a timeout in the middle of a fight. Like, the ref has to stop that fight, yeah. which I was telling my friends was probably going to happen because they don't really watch UFC. And then it turns out it didn't happen. So, you know, I think there was a couple of mistakes there on in that aspect of the fight. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know what to say because all three men in the octagon did something wrong. So Fabricio should not have thrown that extra punch after the ref said stop. The ref should have stopped the fight. And Travis Brown should not have tried to call a timeout to pop his finger back in. You either keep fighting with your finger dislocated, pop it back in, in between rounds. Um, You know, not to sound like I'm the world's toughest man or anything, but I'm also not fighting in a cage for a living. Uh, and, And, you know, we've seen dislocated fingers and things like this in the past. And, you you know, you got to either fight through it or and take care of it or you bow out i mean he he basically quit when he stopped fighting that's quitting you're saying stop don't hit me anymore i'm hurt fight's over you don't get to recover and then continue fighting your finger broke it may have been a freak thing it may have been an accident but you don't you shouldn't get the opportunity to continue that fight the other insane thing that happened because Nothing really happened for the rest of this fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was just two guys who were completely gassed for two rounds. Maybe they both had an adrenaline dump after the, the crazy events that happened in that first round or whatever the excuse is, but nothing happened for the rest of that fight. Travis Brown seemed disappointed with the decision. And then Travis Brown's coach had words for Fabricio, Edmund Tarvidian. Yep. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah, so he had words for Fabricio, and Fabricio walks over and kicks him in the stomach. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I have no idea what happened there. Fabricio just looked really angry, really upset. He wanted to fight everybody, even his translator. Uh, so, I <laughs> so I don't know what happened there, dude. Yeah, and there was even something. I wish I spoke Portuguese. There was something Fabricio said at the end, and the translator refused to translate it, and he walked out. But let's just go back for a second and uh, touch on the fact that he kicked Travis Brown's coach. Now, say what you will about Coach Edmund. The guy's a lunatic. He's an embarrassment to the sport. He's not a good coach. But he's also not a professional fighter. Yeah. Fabricio Verdum, in my opinion, completely out of line for touching this guy. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like he should be fined for that. Yeah, fined or even fired. Well, I mean, I still want to watch him fight, but yeah. like a suspension or something. You know, yeah. that has to be a consequence. I, I would like to see them come down harshly on him for this because this is the equivalent of attacking a civilian. I mean, you're you're a professional fighter, a former heavyweight champion. You're a dangerous motherfucker. Yeah, your whole body is a weapon. I mean, you have you have nothing to prove to the average person. Somebody says something that upsets you and you want to just hit them, that's inexcusable in my opinion, and I would really like to see something harsh come down on Fabrizio for this. I mean, even if it was a light little shove, you're still a former heavyweight champion of the UFC. You should have a little bit more self-control than that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, 100%. Um, So, speaking of control, something that was out of control for CM Punk was the outcome of his UFC debut against Mickey Gall last night. Um, it It was very theatrical. Uh, a lot of people were paying attention to this, a lot of eyes on it that 
you know, may not have been on UFC otherwise. I was going through Twitter and I saw a lot of WWE fans who were talking about how they were rooting for CM Punk and, and they didn't really know much about UFC, which is I think is great. I think it puts more eyes on the sport. Uh, unfortunately, the fight that followed the CM Punk fight was an embarrassment to the sport. Um, so you have all these eyes on it, and then the next fight is, is just an awful mess, which is all the more reason that the UFC needs to come down hard on these two guys. But very theatrical. Uh, um, CM Punk came out, and he had a slow walk. He looked very confident. Uh, Tyron Woodley and Anthony Pettis were interviewed earlier in the night saying, like, this guy's ready, he's legit, we've trained with him, we've rolled with him, he looks good. Um, so he came out looking confident. He took a really long pause before he stepped into the cage to kind of look around, smile at the crowd, um, and then he just got dominated. So what did you take away from this fight? I feel like everything that I thought was going to happen to CM Punk happened. You know, yep. I thought he was going to get his butt beat, and you know what happened. I would have liked for him to put up a little more of a fight, Yeah. but I thought he was going to lose anyway. For example, that takedown that Mickey Gall landed, I feel like if CM Punk knew how to sprawl, he probably would have been able to avoid it. Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty slick of Mickey because he loaded up like he was going to throw a big right hand, and then when he saw Punk flinch, he dove for the double leg, and, and Punk shifted his, his weight the wrong way. Uh, instead of throwing his legs back, he kind of bunched them together yeah. to brace himself, which shows, to me, which shows he didn't have a lot of wrestling. So he might have been training a lot of jujitsu. Obviously, he was training some legit striking up uh, with uh, Duke Rufus, who is an amazing striking coach. So, unfortunately, we didn't get to see any of his striking, but... Um, you know, he, he must have learned something working there, but maybe the transition game isn't there yet. So he he had some ground game. Um, you know, he was able to close his guard on Mickey. He, he defended the rear naked choke a lot better than Mike Jackson did in Mickey's UFC debut, you know, when he, he submitted him in 45 seconds. Uh, so he, you can give a little bit of credit to Punk for that. You know, he was able to close his guard, and and he did defend the choke pretty well. Uh, He got his ear exploded in the process. Yeah, I saw that. Um, But where do you think he goes from here? Um, I mean, he was pretty well dominated, but could it be that Mickey Gall is just that good? Mm, Okay, here's my issue with saying that, is I don't feel like Mickey Gall has proved anything yet. He beat a guy who, you know, all respect to Punk, you know, he's... He's pursuing this. He's really training hard, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But like I said in the previous episode before, the, the last episode that I was on, I'm sorry. You know, I said that Punk was trying to do decades of work in one year. Yeah. Which is physically and humanly impossible. Sure. It, no matter how athletic he is. And, you know, Mickey Gall beat a guy who basically has no experience. Sure. So I feel like he hasn't proven anything yet. And even the last guy he beat um, with the rear naked choke, what was his name again? Uh, Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson. Funny story. I was actually at the bar. I met this MMA fighter who fights for uh, the same organization that Mickey Gall came out of. Yeah. And he was telling me, you know, Mickey Gall, he only had about two, one or two fights at amateur before he got called up by Dana White on the show. Yeah. 
And the guy that I was talking to was actually supposed to fight Mickey Gall. Oh. But he, like, broke his rib or something. Okay. So uh, Mickey Gall fought this guy on the other guy on, like, one or two weeks' notice. Yeah. When Dana White was there. And he was all, the, this MMA fighter is also named Bill. Um, <laughs> he was telling me that the guy in the UFC that Mickey Gall beat before, um, what was his name again? Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson, I believe he was, he only had one win as an amateur. Okay. Before the UFC called him up. So, you know, looking at it from that aspect, I feel like Mickey Gall's been, be, been being spoon fed. So okay. I feel like he hasn't proved himself yet. You're right. Um, and actually, Mike Jackson lost that amateur fight. I'm looking at his record now. So the guy is 0-1 as a professional, and he's also 0-1 as an amateur. So yeah, it begs the question, what was he doing in the UFC? Yeah, so, um, so sorry to cut you off. But to, you know... Like I said, I don't think Mickey Gall's proved anything yet. Don't get me wrong; he's a spectacular athlete. He looks really good, but and it, you know he's he's a brown belt under the Miller brothers. Yeah, uh, which which says a lot. Definitely. Uh, his his jujitsu is pretty slick, but he does leave a lot of space. I've noticed in his transitions. Um, so definitely not at that high level black belt, but I mean he's 24 years old. I think he's got a lot of potential. He's doing the smart thing for his career. He's calling out the right guys, and he called out Sage Northcutt after uh, defeating CM Punk, and he tried to give a nice speech where he said, a lot of people are giving this guy hate online, but fuck hate, (laughs) which was, I guess he had the right intentions, but showing a little bit of immaturity. Um, So I'm not sure how to feel about this kid. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tune in. When, when he fights again. And I would like to see Phil Brooks continue if that's something that he wants to do. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, all the credit in the world to CM Punk for even trying this. It's hard to, you know, have someone who's trying to hurt you. And yeah. then you want to make a career out of this. Yeah. You know, you got to give anybody like that credit. Yeah. So I would love to see CM Punk in the cage again. But first, I'd like him to get to just lock himself away in the gym for like a year or two years. Yeah. Um... So if he does come back, I'd like to see him. I'd like to. Jeez, I, I, I have to stop myself because what I was gonna say is, I'd like to see him fight a lesser-known fighter. But nobody knew who Mickey Gall was before this whole fiasco happened, and and he didn't have that many fights. But maybe in a less pressure situation, I feel like they could utilize him to build up the Fight Pass platform, make him the premier fight on Fight Pass. I mean, this is what I would do if I was if I was running the UFC. I would have him be the feature prelim on Fight Pass. Let him get in there with with somebody who's not going to be aggressive and who's not going to dominate him. Let's see, like, if his skills are on this level. And if they're not, and he gets dominated by, you know, another fighter in a in a lower pressure situation, then you cut him. I'm usually not a fan of these gimmicky things, like when James Tony fought Randy Couture, when Jose Canseco fought over in Japan and you know all this shit like this like I the MMA purist in me is like fuck that noise but Mm. then you know there's the other side of me and I talked about this with Sam the other night too I'll watch any two people fight it's just you know it's interesting to me and I like to analyze it and break it down what I didn't like analyzing was the Jimmy Rivera and Uriah Faber fight that preceded the CM Punk fight um 
A lot of people were saying that Faber should have retired after he fought Dominic Cruz. I thought, you know, you go the distance with the champ, you know, it, it may have been one-sided. I think Faber won maybe the second round in that fight. But he did go the distance with the champ, so I didn't think it was time for him to hang it up. But last night, you saw a Uriah Faber who couldn't pull the trigger against mm. a younger fighter mm. and, and just couldn't get his shots off, didn't try to, you know, utilize his wrestling, didn't even attempt to check a leg kick, which you'd think you, he would have learned after fighting Jose Aldo and getting his, his leg completely tenderized. But, yeah, I, I felt like, you know, that this was the first time I saw Faber and I thought he's not on this level anymore, which was sad for me to say because the guy has been such an exciting fighter for so long. But you put him in there against a, a young stud like Jimmy Rivera, who I feel like showed Faber a little bit too much respect. Mm. And, and that's, that's kind of what I saw from that fight. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean... I we definitely saw a more tentative mm-hmm. Uriah Faber. He he looked he was afraid to go for things, you know, that he would normally go for. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe that is due to his age because he he's freaking ripped, man. I mean, come on. He looks great. Oh yeah, he's in fantastic shape. I mean, he's living that California lifestyle. He's out there probably surfing and and you know, working out. The guy's a hard worker. Yeah, for sure. You say what you want about Uriah Faber. He works as hard as anybody in this business. Yeah, definitely. And Jimmy Rivera, you know, he, he looked pretty good. But uh, going back to the leg kick thing you were talking about, you know, he was letting those, Uriah Faber was letting those leg kicks get in way too easily. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he should have learned to block those or check those by now. Yeah. So it's, you know... I guess maybe the mental aspect is starting to change a little bit for Uriah Faber, but we definitely did not see the California kid last night. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I didn't really know how to feel about Rivera. I think he showed too much respect for Faber, like I said, and he even said he was tentative in the first round, started to get loose in the second round, and then blamed not performing in the third round on the fact that he got poked in the eye. But he wasn't really pulling the trigger either. He outpointed him, and it seems to be his M.O. The guy has 19 wins in a row now. 14 of his wins are by decision. He's only got six finishes in his career. He's only got one finish in the UFC. He actually holds a victory over one of our jiu-jitsu instructors in a World Series of Fighting. Uh, I'm not going to mention him by name out of respect, but uh, you could probably put two and two together if you were <laughs> still inclined to sure dog it, as yeah, I yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I think I know <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, but, yeah, I would like to see Jimmy Rivera uh, step up against uh, another younger fighter who might uh, challenge a little bit more, maybe pressure him a little bit, and, and really see what he's made of. That's what I'd like to see next for him. As for Uriah Faber, uh, you know, maybe one more super fight, maybe his swan song. Yeah. Uh, you know, give him give him like another fighter who's, who's getting up there in years. And, you know, I think 90% of the heavyweight division is in their upper 30s, but I, I feel like it's a little rougher for the lighter weight guys who still have to cut weight. And, you know, as they say, power is the last thing to go, and power is, is more valuable at heavyweight yeah. than it is uh, with the bantamweights. You know, w- with the bantamweights and the and the lightweight and the featherweights, you have to see a little bit more strategy. Right. Yeah, and to piggyback on what you were saying, 
and I hate the term piggyback. So to go <laughs> off on what you were saying, um, yeah, I definitely agree. And those lightweights, you know, they depend so much on being in shape and being fast yeah. to be effective. And, you know, if those things are starting to go for Uriah Faber, I'd definitely like to see him get one win, one last win under his belt before he, you know, hangs up the gloves. Yeah, and Uriah's got great power, and that, that'll that be the last thing to go. But if you can't pull the trigger, then then the power doesn't doesn't do much for you. Um so the fight before that, Jessica Andrade versus Joanne Calderwood. Um, what, what did you think of this fight? We know Joanne is super tough. Yeah, yeah, but her jiu-jitsu game, she's not super great on the ground. Mm-hmm. We saw that in her season of tough where she got tapped out by Rose Nama Yunus in, I, be- I want to say, the semifinals. Yeah. Like right be- the round right before the title fight. Mm-hmm. So I would have liked for her to maybe learn from that and work a little bit more on her ground game because that's where Jessica Andrade really dominated, was on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And Andrade's dropping down from bantamweight, um, which is a, a big cut. Yeah, 20 pounds is, yeah. is a big jump, yeah. Which, this this brings up the point where, because she's somebody I would love to see at 125. I feel like we need that weight class added in there. For the females, I mean, she looked great at 115, and I think she could definitely be a contender. Obviously, you know, she was winning fights at bantamweight pretty convincingly, and she looked phenomenal finishing this fight in the first round at strawweight. But um, it really begs the question of why is there a 20-pound gap for the women? Um, We need to throw something else in there. And I feel like it would be a very competitive division if you made that 125 division. You would probably see someone like Misha Tate um, drop down to that weight where she would be pretty dominant, in my opinion. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely agree. I'd like to see something in between. One, so that there's not that huge gap. And two, for the people who are a little bit too small for weight, but would probably have a hard time making 115 yeah definitely i mean that's that if you're cutting weight to get to bantam weight and then you know you gotta say you lose some weight and then that's a big cut to 115 um so not such a big cut were the bantam weights who fought uh betch korea and jessica i uh i was not impressed with this fight i was expecting a barn burner since they were shoving each other at the weigh-ins or or, uh, you know, Jessica I shoved bets anyway. Uh, what did you think about this fight? Yeah, that fight was a big glass of whack juice. For <laughs> um, you know, I, it was super boring. Yep. I personally thought that Jessica I won. Yeah, yeah, and it was a split decision. Uh, you know, don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Uh, there, were, there were a couple of split decisions on, on this carding, including the fight before that. Uh, but I thought Jessica won as well, but Betch kind of sold it at the end, I guess. She was dancing around and, and celebrating, and, you know, maybe that influenced the judges a, l- a little bit. I don't know if she legitimately thought that she won that fight, because I, I didn't think she did. I thought Jessica's footwork was great. I yeah. thought she had excellent head movement. Definitely. Um, but she didn't really do much damage, and neither did Betch. So I, I did score the fight for Jessica, but um, as far as, like, a decisive winner... Like, if, if you're going to say one person won a fight, I couldn't really say because right. neither of them really did any damage. Um, so the, the fight before that, Brad Tavares edged over uh, Cal Magalese. Not Not a very interesting fight either. 
Uh, before that, Nick Lentz knocked out Michael McBride. That was an okay fight. I, th- I thought it was very sloppy. I know you didn't get a chance to see the prelims, but uh, Nick Lentz uh, uh, TKO'd Michael McBride in the first round, and um, but he did take a lot of damage. He's pretty bruised up. And then the the first two fights on the entire card were great. Uh, Drew Dober, um, Muay Thai fighter who's been in the UFC a while, uh, knocked out Jason Gonzalez in the first round, minute 45 into the first round, and uh, Yancey Medeiros, who is a... He comes out of uh, Nick Diaz's camp. Okay. He he trains with Nick Diaz, but he's also from Hawaii. But very explosive fighter. Uh, choked out Sean Spencer in the second round. So that was very exciting. I, I, I'm definitely excited to see uh, Yancey fight again. And I'm very excited to see Steve Miocic, the heavyweight champion, fight again. Um, everyone else who was kind of sandwiched in between... <laughs> the first and last fight on this card, uh, you know, I could take or leave um, <laughs> because, you know, it was kind of not not the greatest card to ever happen. Yeah, you know, you can, you know, we disagree on a lot of things, Bill, but for this one, you can call me nationwide <laughs> because I'm on your side. This card was pretty boring. Yeah. Up until, you know, I think my personal favorite fight was the main event. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you saw some real aggressive fights and, and some impressive finishes on the early prelims, which I don't know how many people were watching those. I definitely had them on while I was doing some other things. I was great, great fights there. And then I really lost interest uh, uh, building up to the CM Punk fight, which, you know, makes this even more unfortunate because, like I said earlier, you have so many new eyes on the sport right now. This is an opportunity for the UFC to shine. And. My worry is that a lot of people tuned out during the Verdum-Brown fight, and they didn't stick around to watch the the fight of the night, in my opinion, which was Miocic and Overeem. Um, so maybe a missed opportunity for the UFC there, um, but definitely a big opportunity for Mickey Gall. Uh, he went in and, and did what pretty much everyone expected him to do, and, and he finished CM Punk in the first round. So... Um, I would tune in to watch Mickey Gall and Sage Northcutt. Um, I feel like that would, that would probably be a pretty decent contest. Um, Sage has shown some weakness to the ground game in the past, um, but he's a very strong striker and yeah. he's a good wrestler, so maybe he could keep it standing and he could expose Mickey's weakness on the feet. Or maybe we see another side of Mickey where he's got some striking. We don't really know. We don't know a lot about this guy, but uh, he's doing the right thing. By calling out people, it seems to be the model to, to move up in this in this company. And then, um, you know, we got a lot of a little bit of controversy about the UFC 205 card in in New York City. Unfortunately, what was billed as the main event is no longer happening. It was going to be Robbie Lawler against Donald Cowboy Cerrone. I know you and I are big fans of Cowboy. I'm a big fan of Robbie Lawler. Um, so I was really looking forward to this fight. At the same time, I was thinking these are two of my favorite fighters. Who who do I side with? But the, you know, the the fan in me is like, this is gonna. There's no way this is a boring fight. So kind of disappointing. What were your thoughts when you heard this news? Yeah, I was super upset that Robbie Lawler's not gonna be on the card. He's always fun to watch, but you know it happens. And you were telling me before we started that Robbie Lawler actually you know, met Donald Cerrone in person yeah. and told him to his face, you know, I can't 
be there that night. Yeah, these are two guys who obviously have a lot of respect for each other, and they knew they were going to put on a show that has you know fight of the year, fight of the century potential. Uh, and Robbie Lawler's showing a lot of respect. I mean, th- these guys know that they're you know warriors can identify with warriors. So he called them and he said, "I I want to meet with you. I want to tell you something." They met in person, and he told him to his face, I'm not going to fight. But now we're left with what is supposed to be one of the biggest cards of all time. The first time the UFC is appearing in the state of New York, which I am so thrilled for. I know you're thrilled for. uh, People listening can't see you celebrating with your hands up in the air. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But now we're left with this card, and the only confirmed matches are Rashad Evans fighting Tim Kennedy at middleweight. Eh. Tiago Alves making his lightweight debut against New Yorker Ally Aquinta, eh. uh, who has also been on a long layoff, and Alves was supposed to drop down to 155 a long time ago. He always had a hard time making 170, so I guess he's lost a lot of weight. I haven't seen him. I haven't thought about him either, so I don't really care that he's fighting on this card. And then two guys that I'm not really familiar with. So we don't have a marquee fight, and we're we're two months away from this thing. So there's got to be, you know, some kind of business drama going on here. And I don't know if this is us starting to see maybe some issues with new ownership. Um, uh, this is just speculation, but you know, fights. Major fights should have been announced for this card by now. And I understand if fighters are tied up. You know, a lot of your big fighters just had fights very recently. I know there's a lot of talk of Conor McGregor fighting Eddie Alvarez for the lightweight championship. Um, Maybe it's too quick of a turnaround for McGregor. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe Alvarez is hurt. Who would you like to see headline this card? And what do you think are some potential options for the UFC to explore here? So, Bill, who I would want to see on the card, certainly the man with the plan. He's from Strong Island, Chris Weidman. Yeah, so it looks like Chris Weidman did sign a contract to fight Yoel Romero uh, on that card. Oh, that does Uh, look like a good fight. That would be an excellent fight. I would have preferred to see, as I think most people would, uh, Weidman Rockhold too. But uh, I think Luke Rockhold is being a bit of a drama queen and holding out, thinking that he deserves a title shot. Or, oh no, he said that um, the money wasn't good enough. So he's being a diva after getting knocked out in in like six seconds by Michael Bisping, <laughs> um, which I, I'm not a fan. And like, get, get in there and fight. You know, I know you're seeing like all these other guys. Uh, you know, making a lot of money, but they're not getting knocked out in the first round. Like you, you gotta, you gotta kind of take a back seat. Get in there against Weidman. I this is the best. This is the quickest path for both of them back to a title shot. I feel like they can both leapfrog Jacare uh, with an impressive win here. But uh, yeah, Chris Weidman has to be on this card. Uh, I mean, he's been advocating, you know, going to the hearings to to get UFC uh, sanctioned in New York for the longest time. So I agree with you. I would love to see him on this card. Uh, one of the friends of the show, Peru Fini on Twitter, that's P-E-R-U-F-I-N-I-S, um, commented today that he would like to see the heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic fight King Velasquez, uh, which I, I don't know if this is a rumor or if this fight is, is possible. It would be a quick turnaround for Stipe, but he did only fight one round. Uh, this would be a phenomenal fight. 
I feel like. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, when Cain Velasquez was the champion, I felt like Stipe was not championship material, not because he's a bad fighter, but because of how good Cain was. Sure. Is. And, you know, Cain, when he's not injured, he's an awesome fighter, man. Mm -hmm. He's one of the toughest dudes in the world. He beat the shit out of Brock Lesnar, which anybody who could do that is, you know, the man in my book. Um, except, <laughs> except Alistair Overeem. <laughs> I'll explain why. Listen, he had half his colon ripped out of his ass, yeah. and Alistair Overeem only beat him with body shots. Yeah, I was pretty smart on his part. He gave him the, the diverticulitis blow of death, as I said on the last episode. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> did. But I think this is a fantastic fight, especially because I feel like their skill set is so evenly aligned. They're both excellent boxers. They're both excellent wrestlers. Really not known for taking fights to the ground. So I feel like we would see a really great boxing fight. And I think, this is my personal opinion, it would come down to who lands first. Yeah, yeah. And Cain Velasquez has a mean cardio, man. He's probably got the best cardio in the heavyweight division. Yeah. You know, I feel like that would definitely be a factor. I feel like Stipe is pretty good in overall in five rounds, too. So that would really be a tantalizing fight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other ace the UFC may have up their sleeve is, you know, the George St. Pierre, which uh, I'm kind of getting tired of talking about and hearing about. From what I hear, he's in shape. He could probably step in, no problem. I think there's some contract debate there. I know he's got his deal with Under Armour while the UFC is now sponsored by Reebok, you know, since GSP's departure from the sport. Um, so I think there's like some minor disagreements there, but. I still feel like there's a chance that if they are holding an ace up their sleeve, uh, that could be one of them. So, you know, I wouldn't count that out. And then there's also the possibility of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Tyron Woodley appearing on this card. I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard a big announcement. I, I think Lawler Cerrone was, was great, um, but, you know, it's not shaping up to be, you know, the the banner card that that it should be yeah and i mean i feel like we should give it a chance the ufc might be scrambling right now a little bit mm -hmm. with that announcement but you know you're also right too in that we're two months away so they should have something planned yeah but like i said i'd love to see chris weidman on the card and i feel like I, or at least I hope that the UFC has something up their sleeves that we're not hearing about. Yeah. The other possibility is Rumble Johnson against Daniel Cormier. But I don't want to see that. Yeah. DC already beat him. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. <laughs> like, uh, but I, feel, I do feel like it would be different second time around. Um, but, you know, is that really the caliber fight that, that should be headlining New York City? I don't know. But uh, let's, not, let's not leave this podcast off on a bad note. Let's talk about what we're sipping on today, which is something that I brought back as a souvenir from my trip to Burlington, Vermont last week. For those of you who listened two episodes ago, I was uh, recording up in Vermont, and I made my way over to Switchback Brewery, which was an awesome time. It's actually located right next to the world's tallest filing cabinet. Nice. I actually saw that on your Snapchat. And I was thinking, how could anybody with a file cabinet that big be that organized? Yeah, so that's a thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah, I was looking at it, and I was showing my friend. I was like, 
who made this and why? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple of things to do in Vermont. A lot of outdoor activities. They had a great bike trail. Obviously, skiing is big in Vermont and uh, making cheese. There's not much else to do. So people either make phenomenal adult beverages or they stack filing cabinets together and, and bolt them into a giant stack that's taller than anyone has ever done <laughs> so before. So you didn't enjoy the cheese-making bill? That sounds fun to me. <laughs> I didn't go to any cheese-making, but I did have some excellent cheese. Uh, and I had some excellent beer. And some of the excellent beer I had was at Switchback Brewery. And what I liked most about them and what I liked most about the state of Vermont in general very dog friendly everywhere so those of you who follow on instagram at mma on the rocks saw my dog bijou at the bar um <laughs> they have you know dog balls inside and and you know they they welcome dogs in there and 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 bijou was made to feel at home she got a lot of attention which uh you know made her feel good but on top of all that they have some excellent beer so what we're drinking now is the extra pale ale and what were your thoughts on this, Jeff? I really like it. It goes down smooth. It tastes good. And it's a hot day today, so this was a really nice touch. Yeah, really refreshing. Which And uh, it, it's very hot forward, so it's got that hoppy flavor of a pale ale. Uh, so very light, very refreshing. Um, the other things I enjoyed from them were their Oktoberfest. It's very German-style Oktoberfest. Uh, I got some in the fridge. I'll, I'll let you have one after this. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so... Good, good beer. There's a lot of great breweries up in Vermont. Uh, Magic Hat Brewery, I'm sure, is probably the most famous. Um, and then there's another brewery called The Alchemist. They make this beer called Heady Topper. It's an IPA, and people go fucking nuts for this beer up there. And it's really hard to find. The brewery really? was sold out of it while I was there, so I didn't bother going wow. to the brewery because this is their marquee beer. This is what I was looking for. I had heard rumors and stories about it before even going up to Vermont. Um, but it's hard to find. And even at the beer distributors, they said, oh, yeah, we only get it on Tuesdays, and you got to get here, like, at noon, and you got to get online, and you can only buy so much of it. So I, I had to have it. And I don't know if this is a marketing ploy on their part, but I did end up finding it at a bar. It is fucking delicious. So if you find yourself in uh, Burlington, Vermont, um, just go straight to a bar. A lot of bars carry it. Uh, but if you're looking to bring some home, I guess plan your trip to be there on a Tuesday, <laughs> but um, very interesting. And I also uh, I also followed a Twitter account called Hetty Spotter, which <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting play on words, and they'll actually you know share you know this store has Hetty Topper in stock, and people go and get it. it. Delicious beer, very small batch, which is which is why it tastes so good. You know when you do things on larger and larger scale. It's harder to keep the quality up there. Um, but if you find yourself in Burlington, definitely check out Switchback. Uh, Magic Hat is an awesome time. Really artistic brewery. They got a lot of cool shit going on there. Uh, I'll get into them more on another episode. Um, and, and if you want to go to The Alchemist, you know, call ahead and make sure they have the Heady Topper because I, I feel like you, you got to try that. And then there's two or three other breweries up there as well. I didn't have a chance to try them all. Unfortunately, I was just up there for the weekend, Labor Day weekend. But it was a great time. Um, great times ahead for the UFC. Some great fights coming up. There's a fight night next week. Daniel Poirier against Michael Johnson 
interesting main yeah. event for a fight night. I, I feel like that could be fireworks. Um, and then, you know, on the radar, Michael Bisbing, Dan Henderson in England, UFC 204. That sold out, I think, in six minutes. So a lot of exciting things going on. Any kind of closing thoughts, Jeff, before we wrap up? You know, Bill, I just want to thank you because up until you started doing this podcast, I really didn't know about beers. <laughs> and I'd never tried like an IPA or anything. So I was just used to drinking Heineken's and Corona's. But now they they don't have the same taste to me anymore. Like I know what a good beer is now. So I just want to thank you for that, for letting me come on this journey with you. And <laughs> I do what I can for the people, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, and like the other day I had a Heineken and I was so upset. Because, <laughs> because the, the bar I was at, I went out with some coworkers and the bar I was at didn't have IPAs. I was like, what do you mean you don't have IPAs? What is this? Yeah. So um, What so, kind of world are we living in? Yeah, I don't I don't know, Bill. You know, when it's like, you know, once you go black, you don't want to go back. <laughs> or as some people would say, once you go okay. IPA, we don't want you back. All right, I think that phrase refers to something else. But uh, <laughs> well, what could it possibly be referring to, Bill? We'll leave that for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, uh, you know, thanks for the kind words about talking about beer, which is you know one of my passions. Talking about beer, talking about fighting, talking about whiskey and and other alcoholic beverages, which is you know how this podcast came to be. And I want to hear what everybody who listens to this is thinking about and drinking. So thinking and drinking, as I usually say. So let me know on Twitter, at MMA on the Rocks. Also, Instagram, Facebook, MMAontherocks.com. If you want to find Jeff, he's at Animal Wilson on Twitter as well. So we're going to wrap up for now. We're going to throw back a few more switchbacks and probably talk about some more fighting. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>